So we are kicking off a new series tonight. It's a really two-week series. It actually was supposed to be one talk, but as I got into it, it really blossomed into two, right? And so uh, I have kind of postponed next week's talk and said, we're going to jump into, what does it mean to be a devoted follower of Christ? Now, I'll be honest with you, as I was typing the word devoted, if you look at it long enough, it starts to look weird. And you know, if you keep looking at devoted, it's like devoted, devoted, devote, devoted, voted, voted, vote, devoted. And so like I was, it was playing tricks on my head. It's like, did I really spell it right? Is that the right way to spell it? And so um, it'll, it'll start coming to you here in just a minute. But I, as I thought about this word devoted, I started thinking, well, can, can somebody honestly say that about me? Can someone honestly say that I'm a devoted Christian? Can someone say that about you? And I started thinking about that, and I was like, I wonder, where, where can I find, like, oh, a recommendation letter. How many of you have had to ask for a recommendation letter? If you're, especially our seniors, you're probably going to get a lot of those. You're going to have to turn in a lot of these. I stumbled across probably the most classic recommendation letter in the history of the internet, all right? And so I want to share it with you real quick. You might be able to make it out on the screen, but it's a good thing I brought a copy right here. And so this reference letter for Mrs. Brown, right? I have employed Miss Brown for three long years, and I'm very enthusiastic to recommend her for a new position in any capacity with any business. Whatever it is, she will be fantastic at it. All right? You love this word going. While employed here, Miss Brown has displayed great facility in the use of social and audiovisual media and text messaging, not to mention telephonic skills with a variety of non-employment related activities. Furthermore, Ms. Brown has displayed great attention to detail in many areas, with the possible exception of document reviewing, preparation, and mailing, and oftentimes got the mail in the correct box. She was punctual on the days that she came in on time and always comes in first place in office departure. She has been a pleasure to work with on those occasions where she has had enough sleep and otherwise conscientiously procures same during her employ. In other words, she takes naps. In terms of productivity, she definitely rates a smiley face. Miss Brown has many unique qualities will be missed. And in, I'm sure that it will take many days to find a replacement for Miss Brown's caliber. I fervently hope that Miss Brown is able to have, be an amazing asset to another firm, organization, proprietorship, institution, or agency as it expedites in a manner inimaginable. If there is anything further, I love this part, that I can do to facilitate this, including personally driving her to her new employment, please, please, please let me know. Can you say, uh, that's a great recommendation, right? <laughs> if somebody was going to write a recommendation for you, would it sound something like that? Uh, hopefully your work ethic is a lot better than Mrs. Brown's, right? And that 
Here's the truth of what I saw in this and what I'm seeing in this word devoted. It is a descriptor word of someone who has a genuine desire for God. And if you have a genuine desire and a devotion for God, then when someone writes a letter of recommendation for you, probably one of the words they might use would be devoted. Maybe one of the words that would best describe you and your relationship with the Lord or even your relationship with other people is that that person truly loves God. And they love God so much that they actually serve others in a godly manner. And so I just, I, I, I got this devoted thought in my head and in my heart, and I began to track with it, and the Lord began to open up so many different things. And I came across a book, and it's really a really incredible book, uh, and it's called The Practice of Godliness by Jerry Bridges. And I got a group of guys together, and we go through this book each and every week at different topics, but the very first chapter talks about this word devoted, living a life that's fully devoted to God. And so we got into this, and Jerry Bridges in his book really opens up this idea of what it really means to be fully devoted to Christ. And he come up with three different qualities and aspects, and tonight we're really going to just jump into two of them because it's too much talk. But in the, in the passage here in 1 Timothy 4, 7, he says this, and he calls it out in the book, and I, I just love it. He says, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Underline that. For bodily discipline is only for little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive. That's godliness. Because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially for believers. I made a statement last week that probably some of you got it and maybe some of you didn't. That our spiritual condition is not determined by our church attendance. And I got into this and I started really just praying it through and I heard myself say it last week and I was like, man, I really feel like I need to unpack that a little more. Because I think for many of us in this room, when church kind of fell apart and it didn't look like it normally looked, many of us withdrew from our relationship with the Lord. And a lot of us could not find ourselves being fully devoted to Christ. A lot of us could not find, we were struggling to get into God's word daily. We were struggling to really worship, even having personal worship. We were struggling just to love our neighbors the way that we ought to love our neighbors. We decided, we decided to drift. And if that described you, that's really what happened. Is that you had put so much hope, you had put so much effort into your church attendance thinking that was good enough for God. But when church attendance fell apart, and I couldn't come to Exit 15 like I normally could, and I couldn't come to life groups like I normally could, and I couldn't just sit with my friends and buddy up at church and do all the things that I'd want. I want to be back to normal. And when all those things were stripped away, and you were left with just you and the Lord, many of you were really struggling. I'm not saying all of you, but many of you were really struggling. And I want to 
take these next two exit 15s and really come alongside you and to encourage you that what would it look like for you to make some healthy changes in your life right now? Healthy changes in your heart and in your soul and in your relationship with the Lord in such a way that what could be described of you is being a fully devoted follower of Christ. And I love what Jerry Bridges says. And so I'm gonna unpack this. So you see the little triangle there on your talk sheet. And now there's three sides to the triangle. The top is our desire for God. So write that in, our desire for God. On the left side there is the fear of God. And then on the right side is love of God. Jerry Bridges in his book, he talks about those that are devoted, those that have a devotion for the Lord. These three things can be best described of them. And so I want to begin by unpacking this, probably the, <laughs> the one we're most afraid of, is the fear of God. I want to start there, and then we'll start diving in a little bit further into the love of God. Let's hope I have enough time to get there. Here we go. First, the fear of God. What does that mean? Should I be kind of afraid? <laughs> like, oh, I'm a big bad God. Oh gosh, I got, you know. What kind of fear are we talking about? Now there's two sides of fear. There's a paralyzing side of fear that I get so afraid I freeze. Right? Or you know, it happens a lot of times you've seen some of the YouTube videos where they scare each other with the air horn, you know? <laughs> it's that instant moment of freezing. <laughs> some of us in fear, we stop. We paralyze ourselves. The other side of fear is that you want to prepare yourself. You ask lots of questions. You're like, okay, what's it going to be like? When are they going to go? And, and you, you ask all of these questions because you're afraid of something that's fixing to happen. And in that, that's called preparation. And so you have these two sides of fear. And how does it relate when we see the word fear here, does it the same kind of being scared? No, it's not being scared of. You ready for this? It's having an awe and a reverence for. That's what it means to have a fear of the Lord. That I have an awe of him. He is a big God, he's got it in control. And I have a reverence for him that when I'm in the presence of God, I am so overwhelmed with just the fact that I'm in his presence that I revere him, that I respect him, and then I listen to him. And so having a healthy fear of God is this. Here it is, a couple of verses. Exodus 15, 11. It says, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, a majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Man, that's an amazing description of God. What about 1 Peter 1, 17 and 19? It says, if you address the Father as one, uh, the a Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. I love it. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with a precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. One last verse, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 1 and 2, it says this, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, 
that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it so that you and your sons and your grandsons might, here it is, fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life and that your days will be prolonged. You know what that verse just said? If you fear the Lord in a healthy way, you'll have long life. (laughs) Really? Wow. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Two different things. One, it's a fear of his wrath. Fear of his wrath. Many times we don't want to think about God in this way. We don't want to think of God in this way. He has to deal with sin. Sin is a problem in mankind. It started in the garden with Adam and Eve. Some of you know that story. It started there and sin entered the world and fractured our relationship with the Lord. And God being so holy cannot be in the presence of sin. But yet we live in a sinful world and we are sinful people and we all sin, right? The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what does that mean? God in his wrath has to take judgment upon the sin that's in your heart and life. He would be a righteous God if that is true of him. And it is true of him. That makes him righteous, but it also makes him completely loving as well. And that those who are in Christ that know Jesus as their Lord and Savior are washed by the blood of Christ and you experience the love of God in that moment and you are (laughs) passed over. The wrath of God is passed over you because of the blood of Christ that covers you. And so when we see the wrath of God, it is not just the wrath of God over the non-believers, but it is the wrath of God even over the believers. Well, how does God exercise his wrath over believers? I'm covered in the blood, right? How does he show his wrath toward me? He shows his wrath in his discipline and how he disciplines his children. When we get out of line, should we just keep on going in that line? Should we just continue to sin? Paul would say, oh no, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to recognize who God is in our hearts and our lives. And that ought to steer us back into a right relationship with him because he's going to discipline his children. He's going to discipline those that wander. And I think you would want a God who would do that if he just turned a blind eye to your sin because he loves you. And we're going to talk about that here in just a second. And he, has to, he wants to deal with you. He wants to mold you and make you into the woman and the man of God that he designs for you. And it does not include a sinful nature. And so as believers in Christ that drift and allow sin to creep into their heart and their life, just know that the wrath of God in his discipline toward us is going to bring us back. That discipline looks like a lot of different ways. It looks like natural consequences. It looks like a loving accountability from a friend, as we just heard from Ethan, that iron sharpens iron, so one man to another. That discipline looks like maybe reading God's word and you hear it and it convicts you and you repent and you change direction. It is the wrath of God. In other words, in your heart and life, do you have a fear for him that he has to deal with sin? The second thing about the fear of God is not just that. Oh, I'm sorry, back up. A really cool quote from Reverend Albert Martin. Great quote here. He says, the essential ingredients 
of the fear of God are this. One, correct concepts of the character of God. Two, a pervasive sense of the presence of God. And three, a constant awareness of our obligation to God. Do you see that? Do you know him in the character of who he is as loving, justice, righteous, all of those things? Do you have the right character of God? Do you, have, do you understand the presence of God even in the middle of this moment right here? Are you aware of his presence? And then is there an obligation to love him and to serve him? I love that quote. It's an old, old preacher. Let me, number two. Oh gosh, I gotta run out, I'm gonna run out of time. Number two, a fear that creates awe and reverence. This is a healthy fear that we have of the Lord is that it creates an awe of him. As we walk into a worship environment like this, as we get together, even though it may be physically distant, we're still socially connected, but when we gather, or even when you're sitting in the stillness of your bedroom, and in those moments, is there a reverence and an awe that comes over you? Are you still before him and realizing that he wants to talk to you? He wants to share his truth with you And is there a sense of going, God, you're so amazing. I think one of the greatest places that I have found awe and reverence to God is in the mountains of Colorado. How many of you have been to the mountains of Colorado? I mean, I go to the mountains of Colorado and I feel this big. Like, legitimately, you know, I'm standing six foot. I'm pretty, but when I go to the mountains, I feel like I'm a wee little man. Because the mountains are so huge. And when I look at them from a distance, they're like, oh, they're only this big. But as I get closer to them, they get really, (laughs) really, really big. And I become to realize how really, really small I am. And in my heart, it creates an awe and a reverence for the one who created that. Big God doing great things in my itty-bitty heart. And that's the position that I would want all of us to have in our relationship with the Lord that we would genuinely have a fear of him, fear of his wrath, but also have a fear of awe and reverence of him. He deserves it. I have one minute, but I'm gonna stop right here. I'm gonna stop right here because I think the Lord has said enough. And I think the Lord wants to speak to all of us about how big he is, how amazing he is, And that we ought to have an awe and a reverence of him. I want to ask you a question. We're only on one side of the whole concept of what does it mean to be devoted. But can you honestly say in your own heart, in your own life, I'm a devoted follower of God because I have a fear of God? Can you honestly say that? Or the recommendation letter of your life says, I'm reckless I don't care about people. I'll do whatever I want to do. I'm deceptive. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. Would that be said of you? Because in those moments, just know that the fear of God and the wrath of God is coming. Oh no, you may not feel the discipline now, but it's coming. If you choose to deceive him in your relationship with the Lord, or if you run in your relationship with the Lord and you reject him, and you reject his salvation that has come for you, just know that the wrath of God is coming at the end of your days. 
when you finally stand before him in eternity and you realize that you have just totally ignored every person that has ever tried to share the gospel with you, and every time you've said at Exodus 15, and you've ignored every single, oh, I'm starting to preach now, and you've ignored every single one of them, and you stand before the Lord, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? And he simply, and you simply say, because I went to Exodus 15. And the sad truth of that is the reality that God is going to look down on you and say, depart from me, I never knew you. And you see the wrath of God upon your heart. Are you in a right relationship with him? Or now is the time for all of us to get on our faces before the Lord in reverence and in fear of him. Some of us need to get right in our relationship with the Lord. And I'm standing before you now, as humbly as I possibly can say, it's time for you to submit to the Lordship of Christ in your life. Why are you running? Why? When he stands with open arms, I wish I could talk about the love of Christ because maybe I will next week. But the love of Christ, he says, yet while you are still sinners, Christ died for you. He loved you first. First. He did not love you because you loved him first. No, he loved you first. And he loved you so much that even while you were still a sinner, he sent his one and only son to die on a cross for you so that you would have eternity and you would be covered by the blood of Christ. And you could stand right before him not worrying about his wrath and judgment at the end because you have surrendered your heart and your life to Christ. And I'm going to ask you right now, will you make that decision? Some of you are running. And maybe you've had the wrong perspective of fear. Maybe you think God's out to get you. And you're running from God because he's coming at you. And that's completely false. And that's not the character of the God of the Bible that we know. God always came first. He always makes the first move because he loves you and desires to be in a relationship with you. And right now, right now is the time to make that decision, to trust him as Lord and Savior. And for the believers in the room, some of you are running. You have ignored your relationship with the Lord You've ignored God completely during this quarantine. You have said, ah, I got it. And you're a believer. And maybe you're hearing these words tonight, right here, right now, in absolute surrender. And I pray that you would repent. I pray that you would get on your faces right now and repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry for running. I'm coming back. God, I'm so sorry for running. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.